Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is game-changing predictive machine learning presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo around how predictive capabilities are utilized and delivered to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, here I am, and welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I tell you, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what, by the way, this is our new series, one of our, our two new series. It debuted a few weeks ago, Predictive Machine Learning. A lot to share with you, and let's see what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote from Richard Mooney, who was actually on the debut show a few weeks ago. He works at SAP Predictive Analytics, and the quote was so good, I decided to use it. So here we go. Predictive Analytics is one of the few investments a CMO will make that is guaranteed to produce a return on investment. The more you use it, the greater the return. And that's going to set us up very nicely. So what are we talking about today? Predictive analytics continues to evolve in cool ways. Now, I spell cool, K-E-W-L. I think that's the way the kids do it. You might spell it C-O-O-L, but you get the point. Now, machine learning and artificial intelligence are strengthening the backbone of what we'll call predictive capabilities because we've got self-updating algorithms that uncover the hidden meaning in data from the past. Ooh, that sounds so mysterious and so exciting at the same time. I have a panel of three experts who are going to explore the RO. OI, if you've been hiding under a rock, that's return on investment of predictive analytics and machine learning. We'll talk about best practices for implementation in your company, where the data applies. you got to know what data to put into it, and steps to improve what we'll call a quantifiable ROI. That's something that's really good for your bottom line. So welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let me tell you who my three esteemed panelists are today, and then we'll get started. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Gil Gomez, Managing Director of Enterprise Operations for SAP for Deloitte Consulting. And Gil, whenever I do a shout out and a welcome to anybody at Deloitte, I say hello to Carla Neal and Amanda Bush and Helen Thomas who helped bring us people like you. And Gil was on a show a few years ago when he was working at another company. So welcome back, Gil. Second up on the panel will be a newcomer to Game Changers, Hudson Harris, spelled exactly the way it sounds. He's the Chief Engagement Officer for a company called Harris Logic, all one word, with a capital L in the middle, and he'll tell us what they do. And rounding out the panel is Timo Elliott. He is no stranger to Game Changers. He was on another show with me two days ago, as a matter of fact. This is Timo Elliott Week on Game Changers. He's a Vice President and Global Innovation Evangelist at SAP. So welcome to the three of you, and thank you so much for joining me. Let's start off with a quote Gil Gomez has sent us from Albert Einstein. Come on, you already know, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity and had crazy hair. He lived from 1879 to 1955. We'll just leave it there. And he did receive the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics. Here's the quote. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. That's a packed statement. Gil Gomez, how are you? Good. How are you, Bonnie? Thank you for Very having well, me. Very well, thank you. Delighted to have you back. I was so happy to see your name surface and surprised to see you at Deloitte. We love our panelists from Deloitte. So we enjoy this quote. I've seen it before. How does it relate to our topic? We're talking about cool, the cool ROI beyond cool of predictive machine learning. Go ahead, Gil. Well, you know, when I when I saw this quote, right, and, and thinking about predictive and what we what we we 
you know, we're looking for information or data points that we've never understood before, right? So we go in with, you know, looking for the old information that we had. It's not going to get us anywhere further, frankly, right? I mean, I think that's where we have to kind of step away from that. So I thought it was very, very appropriate for the topic, especially, you know, we're talking about as the technology is evolving. I love the quote you started with saying the more you use it, the better it gets, or the more more return mm-hmm. investment you receive. And that's absolutely right. So this kind of applies to that, in my opinion, because, again, the more you're learning, in fact, that's exactly what it's doing. We're learning from, you know, additional information that we may not have. So you're kind of adding to your knowledge base, but you're also, you know, to look at, in other words, to look forward. So if you're only looking at things that, what the information that you created, what we know before, you won't be able to solve it. So I really like this quote when it comes to predictive analytics and, and things like of how, how to look at things in a different way. You know, when I was in graduate school, one of my favorite, um, you know, classes we talked about biases, right? We always look for confirming information, things to basically confirm what we already know, and that leads to poor decision-making. And there's a lot of case studies out there talking about that, et cetera, and, you know, there's a whole concept behind confirming a, a bias of confirming information. This allows us to go, move away from that. That's really how I, how I view this, you know, the quote and our approach to predictive analytics. You have to look at it different, from a different per, uh, perspective. And, again, with the technology, it allows us to be able to, you know, go beyond what we, were already, what we already know. Again, it's a, it's a very different perspective leveraging the technology. That's what I think. Thank you, Gil. I I appreciate that. And I just want to go back to something I said in my opening. I said it with a sense of surprise that the new backbone, the strength and backbone of predictive today using machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence, with the self-updating algorithms helps you uncover hidden meaning in past data. So I'm just going to ask you, let's spin this into the Albert Einstein quote, using the same thinking we use when we created them. If we're looking at past data, are we going to reap benefits from that? Or, or are the hidden meanings or is there some danger in using thinking that was part of an old problem? I don't, I don't want to get into too much existential philosophy here, but just your thought on that. <laughs> no, I think, I think past data is valuable, right? I think it's definitely a, a very important part of, you know, the puzzle. But, you know, I, and I think really how this relates to this, we don't want to rely on that solely rely on what it is, right? Because Yes, you know, past you know, past performance is only an indicative. It's not an indicative uh, measure of future performance, for example. But it does help you identify certain patterns in certain situations, right? It may not be adequate for everything, but I think so. I think in conjunction with additional viewpoints or additional points of information, it is very valuable. We should not discard it completely looking at past information. I think that's, that's really what, I, what, what I'm saying. That, that is, thank you very is, much. Thank, thank you for indulging my question there. I appreciate it. <laughs> no Let's move on to, we'll give, we'll give Gil a break. Uh, Hudson Harris, welcome to you at Harris Logic. And Hudson has sent us a quote from a gentleman I wasn't familiar with, Robert A. Heinlein, H-E-I-N-L-E-I-N. He lived from 1907 to 1988, an American science fiction writer, often called the Dean of Science Fiction Writers. He was one of the first to break into mainstream magazines like, well, I remember this. I don't think anybody on the panel does. Timo, do you remember the Saturday Evening Post? <laughs> I grew up with the Saturday Sorry, Evening I was Post. On the wrong continent. Wrong continent. Okay, thank you. That was a good way to get out of that one. I appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Heinlein wrote Stranger in a Strange Land, Star, Starship Troopers, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, and many other books. His, his 
books won lots of awards. But he helped to coin terms that are part of the English language now. Grok, G-R-O-K, Waldo, speculative fiction, and he popularized terms that were already existing like pay it forward and space marine. Very interesting. He also predicted and anticipated the cell phone 35 years before Motorola brought us that technology. Amazing man. Here is the quote Hudson Harris has selected from Robert A. Heinlein. Quote, if you've got the truth, you can demonstrate it. Talking doesn't prove it. Hudson Harris, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted. Talk to me about this very interesting quote, and are you a big fan and a reader of Mr. Heinlein? Go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm a big fan in general of science fiction and uh, and read a whole lot, but this quote really speaks to, um, uh, to what we do. We do a lot of stuff in public sector, and I think there's a whole lot about predictive analytics that's kind of ephemeral and soft and kind of difficult to understand. So I picked I picked this quote because I think using the data that we're drawing from, having transparent processes, and getting away from these opaque black box models about how we're predicting things, what factors are driving it, uh, is something that's really going to help businesses and organizations really drive uh, their ability to improve the lives of the people that they're working with, and then also generate savings and generate revenue. So it's really a focus on letting the data speak for itself and being really clear uh, in the modeling. Thank you. And any thoughts on the question, uh, The a little bit of a, not a tongue twister, but a little bit of a challenge I posed to Gil Gomez a moment ago about using old data, how far back should you be mining it looking for those patterns? Is it all valuable? Hudson? I actually am going to uh, say yes. We, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, old data. I think the technology has progressed to a point where we're able to look at data sets that um, no one's ever looked before. You know, we're structuring data faster than we've ever done. And so if you look at uh, some of the stuff out there, that you know, the silo killers, where you can take data from one place, data from another place, and mash it together in ways nobody's ever done, you're going to get a whole lot of richness out of old data because it's going to give you uh, patterns and algorithms to draw on from the past to inform the future. Uh, if you don't know where you've been, you're not going to know where you're going. You sound like a philosopher. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Hudson. In a few minutes, we'll come back to you and ask you what you do and what Harris Logic is all about. And now let's turn to my friend Timo Elliott, who just loves being on Game Changers wherever he is in the world. And Timo has sent us a quote that's charming and um, it's charming, it's interesting, it's fun, it's something you could use in a battle of conversation with somebody, but is there's a big question mark about who actually said it. I'll just give you a little background here. I think Timo knows what I'm going to say. It, it's often said this quote came from Shakespeare or Mark Twain or Oscar Wilde, even Winston Churchill, but it turns out that it's probably from a not well-known author named Abby Buchanan Longstreet, and apparently she said it in 1866 in a novel that she wrote under a pseudonym, and Timo, I cannot find the pseudonym, no matter how hard I looked. It's Mrs. Somebody or other. I, I can't figure out what it is. Uh, but let me read the quote. And then it was used by comedian and actor Frank Fay in 1928, quoted in a Walter, Walter Winchell gossip column. Very interesting. So here's the quote. I would challenge you to a battle of wits, but I see you are unarmed. Timo, how can I say that with a straight face? Seriously. It's a great quote, isn't it? It's beautiful. Um, I like it's, this quote because the, I believe the future is about using machine learning and artificial intelligence to augment human intelligence. 
I believe that trying to do business without leveraging these new technologies will be like turning up to a duel without a weapon. You'll be unarmed. Um, modern business is absolutely a battle of wits. It's not about the factors of production. It's about the data that you're gathering. Every company is becoming a data company. And uh, clearly, these technologies are going to help arm the successful, successful executives of the future. Timo, in this new business, this new world of machine learning and AI and IoT, do you need to have your wits about you seriously and, and be able to parry with the machines and with the learning? Because we all know humans are behind all of it. We're the ones who are doing the programming, the coding, the design work. Does wit have anything, I'm taking it literally, does wit have anything to do with being successful in designing these systems so humans can use them, as you so well put? Well, when we say wit, we obviously mean uh, intelligence. And certainly I believe that the enterprises of the future have to be more and more intelligent. And in particular, they need to get much better at learning from the past. Time and time again, we see organizations making the same mistakes time and time again. Using machine learning, we can start to automate the process of actually improving and learning from that experience. Thank you very much, Timo. Happy to have you back. And now let's go around the table to Gil Gomez. Gil, let's catch up with you. I have a couple of questions. Number one, where are you today? You called us. Number two, what's in your cup today? And that goes back to our standard question of what's the drink that makes you feel wonderful? What powers you? Any kind of a drink will do. And the third question is, what have you been up to very briefly at Deloitte? Go ahead. Sure. Thanks, Lonnie. I'm, uh, I'm actually calling from uh, my, my home office in uh, Colorado, Evergreen, Colorado, just outside of Denver. I was uh, going to be on the road this week, and uh, fortunately, I actually had a small reprieve. So I'm in Colorado this week, um, and I'm actually drinking. You know, typically, I'll be at uh, this time of day, my couple cup of coffee, but uh, I had a very long workout this morning, and uh, I'm living at 8,500 feet, a lot of ice water, a big tumbler of ice water. <laughs> <laughs> need to hydrate. Anybody who's been in the mountains knows that's a key to staying, you know, feeling well up in, at this altitude for long periods of time. So, but uh, again, I live at 8,500 feet, so it's, uh, I drink a lot of water. <laughs> okay, good to know. That's a good, good health tip there. What have you been up to at Deloitte? Well, Deloitte, we're working uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, I'm very, very involved in quite a few of uh, the latest transformations with, uh, with SAP, obviously, uh, as part of their uh, the new S4 initiative. My particular work, I focus on the analytics and developing analytics, enterprise analytics platforms alongside those uh, long-term transformations. You know, we don't view these as technology transformations. We view these as business transformations. And uh, a lot of our clients, uh, specifically some of my larger ones, uh, definitely see the value in what we're doing, for example, with predictive analytics. Um, they are doing it to some extent in certain pockets within different you know, organizations. But they'd like to be able to take it to the broader enterprise. So a lot of the work that I'm doing is designing this platform to take in from the traditional analytics path, you know, and what have the access to information, you know, from new sources and new SAP technology, et cetera, and, and really how can I then leverage as I move forward um, to do a more advanced analytics, machine learning, things like that. So a lot of work with those uh, clients like that and, um, and really just uh, – uh, moving and really working with them to, again, establish a platform, but really thinking, looking ahead, what's next and how can I leverage some of the new uh, technology that's coming down the pipe and it's available out there. They're looking at it, they're having conversations, you know, I help them a lot working with, you know, prioritizing what needs to be done, what should be done first, 
Um, and, and again, it's a, it's a, it's a journey, right? It's kind of a, probably an overused term, but, um, that's a lot of the work we, we've been, um, uh, asked to do for our clients. And obviously, and again, it's a business transformation. That's really the kind of our focus there. So that's, that's really what we've been up to. Thank you very much, Gil. Pleasure to have you. And now Hudson Harris, our newcomer today, our totally newcomer. Hudson, tell me a little bit about first where you're calling from. Number two, what do you love to drink? And number three, what does Harris Logic do? Yeah, so I'm calling from sunny San Diego. Uh, just arrived back from Nashville uh, late last night from um, a conference. And my wife and I just relocated back out here after a four-year hiatus from um, St. Louis. Hmm. And right now I am drinking my wife's homemade kombucha. She she loves to grow things and make things. And so her latest kick is making this uh, fizzy beverage that's quite delicious and I'm told quite healthy, uh, but I tend to just trust what she gives me. So. <laughs> Okay, we'll just go with that. Yeah. Never never had anybody say that out of about 4,000 guests. Very interesting. And what is Harris Logic? I know, uh, I believe your dad started the company. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so we are a uh, behavioral health and technology uh, services company. So we're a little bit of a, an irregular widget. We both provide uh, suicide prevention, uh, mobile crisis outreach, emergency department diversion services to um, different entities and, and the public. And then we also develop solutions to support uh, organizations that are kind of engaged in those same areas. We develop solutions for uh, counties that are looking to streamline um, inefficient operations, you know, things like uh, mental health jail diversion, uh, you know, removing silos between organizations to improve collaboration. It's a, it's a pretty broad spectrum, but we're really, you know, focused on the, the concept of taking mental health uh, and bringing technology to it and bringing it, uh, dragging it into the future so that we can start to apply some of these amazing technologies and business processes to an industry that, that really needs it. And my role at, at Harris Logic is finding uh, new community partners and companies to work with, to develop different innovative ways to figure out how to improve the quality of mental health care, how to improve their, uh, their efficiency, their budget, um, generate revenue, and that's, you know, kind of us in a nutshell. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. And sounds like you're doing very important work. And now let's go all the way around the table to Timo Elliott. Timo, where are you today in your worldwide travels? And what are you drinking? And why don't you tell this audience for this new series what a global innovation evangelist does and, and your attachment to the machine learning, the predictive machine learning topic? Well, Bonnie, I am calling you today from a little town called Port Moody on the outskirts of Vancouver, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife and daughter are both Canadian, so I thought I'd go for a patriotic Canadian drink, mm. and I went through the options. Uh, I discarded Seagram's whiskey because it's only 11 o'clock in the morning here. Uh, same. <laughs> we would have let you say it beer. anyway, would- Timo. You know that. We would have <laughs> let you say it. But go ahead. <laughs> so Molson's beer was the next choice. Uh, you know, the I am Canadian slogan. But again, yeah, a bit early. So I've gone with um, <laughs> Canada Dry um, ginger ale. Which uh, So drink Canada Dry. There you go. That's my drink. And that's my role. I'm a global innovation evangelist. My job is to talk to audiences around the world about the latest technology trends and their real-world impact on organizations. 
Okay, and and when you think when we think of your title, Timo, Global Innovation Evangelist, are you evangelizing the concept of innovation, the the all of the other words that go with it about co-creation and design thinking and thinking outside the box and digital uh, digitizing and digitalizing companies and going into the age of the digital? What is everything encompassed in that term of innovation evangelist for you? Well, there's basically two sides to the job. One is uh, explaining things, so mm-hmm. uh, trying to help people get their heads around what the new technologies are and what they can do for organizations. Uh, but above all, it's about sharing real-world stories of how organizations like the audience are actually implementing these technologies and ideally talking in detail about what worked, what didn't, what it really pragmatically takes to actually succeed with using these technologies, what organizations should and shouldn't do to, um, to get the most out of the new opportunities. Thank you very much. I like new opportunities. That's our panel. I am drinking cool, clear water as, well, Gim probably doesn't remember, but I'm sure Timo does because we just talked about it on Tuesday on the Future of the Future with Game Changers. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And Wednesdays and Tuesdays are their doubleheader days. So that's how I survive, just the cool, clear water. So I'm with you, Gil, on that one. Not too many ice cubes left in mine. But we are listening. We're talking right now about predictive machine learning it turns out to be a tongue twister roi beyond cool we're going to take a quick break just 90 seconds plenty of time and when we come back we'll start our round table formally uh, with gil gomez we'll be talking off air about some of the topics he'd like to discuss and then we'll turn it into a true round table and talk to hudson and timo as well so i'm bonnie d graham here we go don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial oh you know the drill by now Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From understanding user and business needs to exploring enabling technologies and operationalization to developing cultures that embrace democratization and pervasive use of predictive capabilities by all, SAP helps you explore how predictive machine learning is transforming business. Game-changing predictive machine learning brings you insights from those who are helping to make this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges across all lines of business to explore what needs to change to effectively exploit predictive machine learning across the enterprise and how you can go from lagging to transformational. Tune in to the business channel to hear today's predictive machine learning business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how predictive machine learning is shaping the future of change for all of us. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP. 
Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to game-changing predictive machine learning. Talking today about predictive machine learning, the value, ROI, return on investment beyond cool. Yes, it is cool. Yes, it's tech. Yes, it's new and it's exciting. But you got to have an ROI in order to make it work for your company. Speaking today with three experts in this field, Gil Gomez now at Deloitte, Hudson Harris at Harris Logic, and Timo Elliott still at SAP as I am. Now let's look at some notes from Gil here before the show. Gil, I'll read a little bit and then have you run with it about two minutes and then I'll invite Hudson to join us and then Timo and we'll see where we go. So you say predictive analytics with the use of machine learning and AI subsets has the potential to disrupt industries, governments, and our everyday lives both in the positive and unfortunately negative ways. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Go ahead. Now, again, I think, you know, we've, we've barely scratched the surface of the capabilities of this, you know, great technology. And we've been doing predictive work for a long time, right? But as the technology is, is growing from artificial intelligence to, you know, the self-learning algorithms, like that, I think we've, we've only scratched the surface and we're seeing a lot of experimentation, you know, new, new, new company, some companies um, and, and data sources, frankly, right? Because... You know, the, the proliferation of everything from social media that everybody is connected and there's so much information and so much can be studied, modeled, et cetera, the, the benefits and the downfalls potentially are, are still very young. We're, we're at an early stage of this. But I think there's also a great opportunity, right, from a business perspective to leverage that, right, to leverage that and, and, and focus. And I think the biggest way to do it or the best way to you know, achieve an ROI is to focus, right? There, there are a lot of, there are, I've talked to a lot of clients that we want to do this, 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 and it's, and it's very appealing to try and, you know, again, to use the cliche, boil the ocean, right? But mm-hmm. that is, I think, and if, if we strive to focus a little more and kind of identify areas, and I'm working with several clients where we're trying to guide them to actually, you know, pick an area that it's a, it's a, it's a very particular I need to have this information, for example, my consumers. So I need to be able to know when to stock this particular item on the shelf and because it's going to, it only has a two-hour shelf life, for example, right, something like that. And how do I need, how, how many should I, of these items should I make and when should I put them out at what time of day, what, what day of the week, and et cetera. Things, things like that, that's a very real problem that causes a lot of things because if I don't sell it, and within two hours I have to throw it away. Right, and it's and it's, it's that, mm-hmm. that's some, uh, one of the one of the things. So, again, so I would think the best way is to really think of what can be done, focus it, and really to get back to the ROI component. Because again, it is it is it can be confusing. Uh, it is uh, it is brought, it's exciting. It is definitely cool. You do a lot of cool stuff as you, uh, with a little discipline, and maybe that's something that I again you can bring that approach to your organization and to your and, and to your. Uh, initiatives that will, I, I, I believe that helps greatly. But again, there's there's huge opportunity. It's a very disruptive technology, which is fantastic, right? And that's that's another thing I really like about predictive because it can. It's disrupted when you find new markets, when you find new consumers, new product offerings. I mean, that's that's really what I mean. A lot of this is what what can be done. Yes, we want to learn from the past what can be done. But again, if we kind of focus our efforts in certain ways, I think it becomes very valuable. Thank you very much, Gil. Very interesting. Let's see what Hudson has to say. Hudson Harris, join us, please. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo, I think, pretty much everything that Gil said. And I think, you know, what I'd add to that is, is, is in generating your ROI and looking at what industries have not yet gotten the benefit of predictive analytics, you know, look at something like meaningful use. Um, they paid out $25 billion in uh, meaningful use payments in the past seven years. That's driven a data revolution in healthcare. And now you've got precision medicine, you've got predictive analytics that are working inside the space for what works for different medicines, uh, radiology, cancer predictions, all over the place. And so if you look at where the money is going, um, it's structuring your data in a, a clear, meaningful, consistent way, and then creating those outcomes. And, you know, we did a, a predictive pilot in the mental health sphere, which was, uh, I had more people tell us, no, it wouldn't work than I did say, I'm, I'm interested to see what had happened, but the results were, were stunning. And I think using the, the massive amounts of data we have to generate actionable, you know, intel, like we call it clinical decision support. So I'm using mm -hmm. predictive analytics to understand the likelihood of a patient to do X, Y, or Z, or the impact of treatment, uh, uh, you know, ABC or whatever. The, the key to the ROI for us in this sphere is really creating actionable intel, like, you know, seeing all the really neat, cool stuff that can happen as possible, but really boiling it down to a frontline person getting the benefit of all that computing power in a single place is, is what's really going to drive um, your ROI on this type of model. Thank you very much. Timo, Elliot, love to get your thoughts. Machine learning is really about complex but repetitive machine learning, complex but repetitive decisions and being able to automate those in new ways. And when you think about it that way, it's hard to think of an area where it won't have an impact. Almost every job, every role has some aspect of that job that involves complex, repetitive decisions. And you can now augment, you can now automate that and elevate the person doing the role to a higher level, allowing them to do more with less. Thank you very much. Gil, you want to add anything? Any challenges to anything your co-panelists just shared, Hudson and Timo? I think it's, it's absolutely right. And it's hard to argue, right? But, uh, but uh, so I, will, I will add, it's the, I think Timo mentioned it too, there's, there's hardly an industry or a process that, where it can be applied to. And I think, you know, a lot, there's, there's a lot of conversation, oh, my God, this is, you know, the job conversation, right? Not to get too, you know, a lot of down that line, but I think that actually, again, back to the opportunity. How can you be more efficient to do it, not this job, but we waste a lot of time. There's a lot of repetitive processes that waste time, right? And it can be mm -hmm. a, it's an incredible improvement of efficiency, allowing you to be more efficient at your job, be more able, be able to do bet more things, and again, become more productive part of the organization. So I think it's, rather than have it focusing on the negative aspect of that, for example, I think that's what the, some of the challenges that I've seen facing, right? Some organizations, oh, we don't want to automate this. Because, oh, you're automating, oh, my God, you're cutting jobs. That's not what we're looking to do. And I don't think that's, that's counter, I think that's counterproductive, frankly. I think that's, so when you view it as a matter of to be, be more, uh, you know, again, and, and I, when, in my initial term, I said the negative part of it, too. Yes, there's, there's some of that, but you can, everything can be negative, right? There's, there were every, every, tech, every innovative and disruptive technology Somebody was against it because it was impacting something, somebody or something in a negative way. And I, again, because thousands of examples, we don't want to get into those, but think of, just think about anything. You know, everything from, oh my God, you know, it's like 
what do you mean you have a car and what what do you do all these horses or what's happened to me? For example, I mean things of that that far back. It doesn't matter. It's a disruptive technology. The point being is the benefits I think far outweigh the negative connotations. And again, if you focus on those and how to improve everything across the board, that that becomes more useful. And also to help drive that in your organization. Because again, I've also been with clients that have already started facing. Well, we don't want to do that because well, who's going to do this work, et cetera. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. I mean, those are real. Those conversations are already happening in certain areas. When you're looking to do process automation and efficiency and things uh, and improving efficiency across the board, so you want to be able to have that. Again, there's still, it's, there is a change management component of that, which of course there is with any new technology deployment. So. Thank you, Gil. Very interesting insights. I'm going to move on to a slightly different topic from Hudson Harris's list. Hudson, I'm looking at your second statement you sent me. You say data governance will dominate the conversation around analytics moving forward. Organizations who fail to adopt or fail to follow a data governance strategy will see customer flight and reduced ROI. This goes right to the heart of the point of this topic today. Hudson, tell me more, please. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of privacy and data governance standards, and I think it's something that a lot of times we get caught up in the, uh, the whiz-bang nature of predictive analytics, and I think what's going to separate the uh, winners from the losers on the balance sheet and from the human impact sheet in the next 10 years is really going to be driven from uh, a data stewardship perspective. So the data we're, collect- we're collecting about people, the uh, information that we're gleaning from it, there has to be, you know, I'm, I'm always going to go back to my, uh, my, my stump of it has to be transparent. It has to be clear of how we're using this data, what it's, be using, what it's being used for, and then more importantly, you know, when it's being used uh, to impact me. Uh, not necessarily on uh, my my job, but it's when the data is being used to impact me, the ability to understand um, how it works. Because I, I talk with a lot of data scientists and, I, and a lot of people, and there's this data rush to just grab everything you possibly can, which is great. But having the framework to guide um, to guide that is is you know a, a morality of data analytics almost is is kind of mm-hmm. what I'm getting to. It's just you know yeah. how we're using it, what we're using it for, uh, and then making sure people understand because people are going to want to trust companies and invest in companies that are doing what they say and saying what they do because we see so often companies will have huge policy stacks that they haven't looked at in ten years and don't actually follow. Hmm. Okay, and the question comes up, of course, Hudson, of if they haven't used in 10 years, do they still work? Are they still applicable? Who has to be told or asked to update them, to modernize them? Any quick comments on that? There's work and expense involved in that. Probably a reason why they haven't used them in a while. What's your thought? Exactly. Their policies are very much a dust gatherer. Um, I think it was Gil uh, said it's, uh, it's change management. Um, and I think that that's part of what we're doing is we're going to see a shift towards active policy stacks that are actually driving, um, you know, at a granular level, driving, ap- you know, application access and what you can do in the system. But policies that are not driven by lawyers, um, being a lawyer myself, I've written plenty of things that were incomprehensible uh, to anyone that wasn't legally trained, but it's, it's getting a policy that's actually functional and helps drive the discussion. I'm glad you said to somebody who is not legally trained, I got, a, got quite a kick out of your disclaimer there for a second. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, we don't do lawyer jokes on this show. Thank you very much. Timo, let's get you in on this. Thoughts on data governance, privacy, all the good stuff that Hudson just shared with us. What do you think? 
So I, I 100% agree that governance is an area that is not sufficiently discussed when it comes to machine learning. With machine learning, you're essentially delegating your decision-making to machines, and that means you have to be incredibly careful. Algorithms are basically sociopaths, uh, and that's how, to, how they should be treated. They're very intelligent, but they have no empathy, no emotion, no appreciation of the human condition. So they can be very useful, but you have to be very mistrustful about their use, and you have to put in place strong safeguards, uh, as was mentioned, transparency and monitoring to make sure that they don't result in abusive situations. Interesting enough, as when I talk to audiences about machine learning, there's always part of the audience that is really concerned about how the algorithm is doing what it does. Like, what are the mathematical factors behind mm -hmm. the algorithm? And I understand that concern, but it's actually much more important to have a robust governance around the use of the algorithm. No matter how good the maths are behind your predictive analytics, it could still be very badly used. So to be very human about the use of artificial intelligence is absolutely essential. Very interesting. I like the way human got in there. We're talking about technology, and it's nice to know people are involved. As I said in my opening, let's circle around the table. Gil Gomez, thoughts on what Hudson presented and or what Timo just shared? You know, I love that quote that machine learning algorithms are sociopaths. Timo, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. I love that, but you're, that's absolutely correct. And One of the things I would, I would take it a step further from and also the and along the lines of governance, also the quality, right? What information are we using and the, the quality of information or data that we're doing to gather these, this, I think, because that's also very important. Just, you know, feeding it randomly with everything, with it, again, back to the governance allows us to understand, because that's also very important. I mean, again, it's, it's like the quality of the education. How are we teaching these machines? To me, that's very a huge part of this where the quality of the data, and that's a big challenge, especially when you have so much data, Right. Uh, so a big part of your governance component and strategy has to be how am I going to control the quality of the data that I am feeding and that I am analyzing to, to look at, at all of these components. And I think that's, that's a big, big part of what any governance component. Again, a focus on the quality, the control, the access, the, you know, what it's being used for, who it's being collected, whom it's being collected, what it's collected from, but also is this the right component and is this high-quality data? That's, that's something that I would add to that. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Hudson, you started quite an interesting topic here. Any thoughts on what Gil and Timo just added, please? Yeah, just briefly, one, one thing on what Gil said. I think that what we're going to start to see as far as the data cleanliness and the algorithms and what's going on is kind of driving at the question of who watches the watchers, of what are we doing to build in um, human elements and uh as much as I hate to say it, even AI elements that watches what's being made, and then how do we create flags and notifications and uh, uh, you know break the glass, stop what you're doing type things to be able to prevent those abuses from rolling out you know unanticipated. So there's a, there's a, a watching of the watchers by the watchers type circle, but I think it all gets back to really putting those safeguards in place early. Thank you very much. 
Timo, let's go around to some of the statements you sent me and, and let's talk about uh, applications. You say everybody is drawn to the cool stuff and you're spelling it C-O-O-L and you know that I like to spell it K-W-L. I think that's what the kids do. You say, but that's not the real opportunity today. Right now, the value is in automating parts of business in new ways such as finance, doing more with less. What are some other ways? We're talking about ROI specifically. What are other ways to automate, get the value, and say, look at what we've got from our investment in machine learning. What do you think? Well, the background is that when people hear terms like machine learning and artificial intelligence, they inevitably start thinking about robots or the kinds of human assistants that we see in movies like uh, Jarvis in Iron Man. But the reality today, at least, is a lot less about that kind of sentience and a lot more about automated pattern matching. Um, and really, we're just talking about implementing automated pattern matching inside your business processes. And there are lots of areas of business where that kind of complex pattern matching just makes up a big chunk of the daily work. Uh, McKinsey believes that up to 70% of financial processes could be automated using these te- techniques, for example. And... We've been using computers to automate and optimize business processes now for 40 or 50 years. This Mm. is just at one level the next big opportunity to do so. We can certainly do other things with this technology. Um, Harris uh, Logic is a great example of how we can use it to improve the human condition. But for right now, the easiest way to get ROI is through automating repetitive parts of business processes. Thank you very much. Always brief it to the point and pack a punch. Let's go around the table. Gil Gomez, thoughts about applying where can you make the value? Where can you find specifically the ROI within any kind of business, any industry? What, what's your thought? I agree. I think uh, I think the automation of the process is a, is a great example. I, I also, I'm a big fan of uh, customer insights, right? The You know, that's where it starts getting more a little a little controversial where you're understanding your customer, right? You're really gathering information because there is so much information available about your, your customers, whether internal or external, everything from sentiment analysis, things like that. Um, but I think there's a huge value there, really understanding having that 360 view of your customer, what you're offering, what they truly want. I think that's, you know, organizations that are truly successful really, really understand whatever it is that the customer needs in terms of their product, obviously, right? That's, that's very, very important. Um, and again, that's, it becomes a little controversial because they back to like, well, you know what? But again, it's also very convenient. You know, you see that Amazon does it quite a bit when they said, well, you bought this. People also bought this, and you may be interested in that. For example, oh, it's an accessory to whatever I bought. That kind of information and kind of that kind of, you know, prediction of what you may want to buy is very beneficial from a practical standpoint. And again, it's it's, it's, it's taking that and what what the, what's the potential the next step? Customer service, for example, it's another great way when I have some kind of, you know, next, next, next best action type situation where I have customer service reps that I can actually see the history of, you know, the call history of this particular customer, what they've got, what they've bought, what they've complained about, things like that. What can I potentially do to keep this customer happy or keep them from moving away from to another, another OSRA competitor, for example? So, again, that kind of visibility into my customers having that 360 ability and accessible very quickly, I think that's another great opportunity um, that Predictive brings to, you know, to many organizations. Thank you very much. Hudson Harris, join us. Thoughts? 
Yes, I, I actually have kind of my, my comment echoes both what Timo uh, and Gil said on the on the pattern recognition. I love this idea because I think that's probably the best way to describe what it's doing right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the in the behavioral health space, we take old data collaborate, figure out what it's doing in predictive modeling to understand how to better give services. Because for most of the healthcare space, it's a fire hose of referrals and medicines, and here's the things to do, and come back in a month and see if you're better. The ability to drill in and say, what are the patterns in the past down to the individual level, to the population level, is going to drive better efficiency and use of resources and resource-scarce environments. On the other side, I think, you know, you look at there was a, a, an AI challenge to review contracts and having done hundreds of contracts myself, the thought of something that can take that out of what I used to do, like, thrills me. And the AI absolutely crushed the competition. It was like a 97% accuracy on contract review mm. in 26 seconds. And if I didn't have to review a contract or, you know, now my role have to have contract reviewed by legal for days and days, I'd take it in a heartbeat. But, it, yeah, yeah. You said 26 seconds, as opposed to how much, how much time would you Hours. have put in? How much, Conversely, what? Hours? Uh, several. I mean, several hours. There's, I mean, obviously, it's all dependent on the length of the, uh, mm-hmm. the contract. But, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's also something that using that as the first pass, then with somebody reviewing after the fact, you get the best of both worlds. Um, but, you know eliminating contract waste um, and time and negotiations on, you know, minute points. I mean, I think everybody here today can say they've argued over some of the weirdest things in contracts you never thought you'd argue about in your whole life at least <laughs> once. Um, and getting those out and getting those things kind of standardized and streamlined is something that I think predictive could have a huge ROI for companies on. I, I think that goes back to one of our opening quotes. As a matter of fact, the one you picked up from, uh, from what was it, from uh, Heinlein. Uh, if you, mm-hmm. no, no, that's not the one. That's not. The one. I'm thinking of um, the one that Timo sent from. Yes, whoever was said it. I would challenge you to a battle of wits, but I see you're un- unarmed. Perhaps the the concept of arguing the fine points of a contract, and you said you're surprised that something some people just pick on things. Maybe they think that's wit, which uh, Timo very kindly said is a sign of intelligence. So that could be where it comes from. Timo, you started this conversation. What do you think? Anything you want to add to what they said? Oh, well, I completely agree that the other big opportunity is to uh, help optimize the customer experience. It used to be that your experience as a customer was fairly linear. You know, you'd see an ad, you'd go into a store, you'd buy something. Um, everybody followed pretty much the same process. But now we're in a much more complex, more omni-channel world where you can contact people through, you can buy online or in a store. There's lots of different customer touch points. And leading organizations are now using information in real time at each customer touch point to optimize and guide that customer journey. So, you know, what are the products this customer would be most interested in? Would a discount right now overcome their hesitation to buy? Um, What level of service do they require through what channel? So just constantly updating and optimizing that experience, I agree, is is a fantastic fantastic opportunity using machine learning to optimize that end-to-end customer journey. 
Thank you very much, Timo. We have time for just sneaking in one more topic under the wire here, and I have something I know that Hudson Harris is very passionate about. Let me just read this sentence, Hudson, and then you can expand a little bit. You say, information sharing in behavioral health emergencies is the best way to save lives, money, and resources in the public sector. And just above that statement, you said jails are the three largest providers of mental health services in the U.S. Could you just give us a, a, a potential of how machine predictive machine learning would work in this type of a scenario? Yeah, I think, you know, if we look at what um, major enterprise resource uh, software has done in business, uh, if you look at what it's done in mental health and behavioral health, it's there are two sides of the, the spectrum. So there's, you know, no coordination of care. There's no rapid identification. Uh, you, you see people that are ending up in facilities that they don't belong in and, you know, the mental health world is kind of odd. Inpatient facilities are the worst possible place, generally speaking, for somebody with a mental health condition. Going to jail is the worst possible place for somebody with a mental health condition. But using predictive analytics to understand, again, you know, what works best in those scenarios, what types of services are going to work, and then using those to say, what are the pathways to rundown, I think that's where you can take predictive analytics and, you know, turn it up to an 11, if you will, because then you start to get into places where you start pulling the slack out of the system. You know, it's no longer a spaghetti noodle of care. It's a straight line where you're really accurately identifying where people are, what they need, and how quickly they need it, as opposed to right now, where it's just a fire hose of services. Thank you very much. Another picture word in there. I appreciate that. We are in about 30 seconds in our predictions round. We call it the crystal ball. Timo knows what this is, and Gil may remember from your last appearance a while ago. So why don't we take our time with this instead of my just restricting to 60 seconds. Let's do about a minute and a half apiece and see where we go. Gil Gomez at Deloitte. Take a look into the crystal ball at Deloitte and all of your preceding experience in various industries. And why don't you tell me what you think would be our conversation would be about in terms of the value of predictive machine learning, getting that beyond cool ROI. Let's say between 2020 and 2025, you could pick any time. 90 seconds, Mr. Gomez, they're all yours. You know, this, this would be a perfect opportunity for a predictive, you know, algorithm kind of that, that crystal ball, right? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Touche. That, well done. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and, that's, and that's exactly, and that's the beauty of this because it's, it's so difficult because it is changing so quickly and it is so disruptive. I think really what's going to happen, I think we're, 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 we're scratching the surface and everything we're, you know, it's interesting, you know, we're, we're all talking about doing, you know, the, the future of, you know, how, how to evolve, you know, the customer experience, the processes, of, again, things we already know how to do, we're just trying to make them better. Which actually, that's actually the, the future of innovation, right? And it's interesting, I wrote a very interesting article recently where innovation has slowed down because the knowledge base has grown so much, right, in the last, in the, in the last several years. And, you know, to train folks in that knowledge base, it takes so much longer, et cetera. That's one of the concepts. So what's coming down the line is, again, maybe... I first I, I, something can something help us, you know, kind of, you know, facilitate that kind of knowledge base, you know, crunch and actually be able to, and I think that's where machine learning can help because again they can learn so much faster than we can, with, with you know, with a very objective view of, of obviously with a governance component of that. So, I think what we'll, we'll see is much more disruptive opportunities because of this, and new industries and new product offerings that we never thought about, whether it's a completely new product or whether it's a completely new service industry, just like we've seen already in the past some of the other disruptive service industries, a la Uber, for example, right? 
that's the kind of a threat understand there's a market need, but again, you're, you're mining it for that. So I think that's, that we're going to see more and more of that. So, so the speed of innovation it should help us with actually innovating in itself. You know, kind of, and, and that's, that's what, I, what, I, what I would foresee happening more, not just providing um, an improvement of things we're already doing now, if that makes sense. Th- thank you, Gil. It does. Appreciate that, Hudson Harris. 90 seconds for you. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that for predictive analytics, we're going to see an application of uh, you know Moore's law of computing that you know the speed doubles every you know eighteen months to two years. I think we're going to start to see that with predictive analytics that the more of the neural net and AI that's coming on, um, you're going to have an exponential growth where it just starts to feedback loop. And I think you know linking to what Gil uh, just said, the the predictive analytics should start to free us up to actually restart that innovation cycle. You know, if you think about, you know, those, those base level needs, if we can start to, you know, streamline some of the things that are taking up so much of the daily activity and lives of so many people, it frees us up for a much faster, uh, faster paced growth and more innovation and creativity. Thank you very much. I like the way you got the word creativity in there under the wire. Thank you very much. That goes with cool as far as I'm concerned. Timo, Elliot, they were so brief and to the point, I can give you a full two minutes, so knock yourself out. Go ahead, Timo. All right. Well, let me start with a quote, Bonnie. Uh, Prediction is very difficult, especially if it's about the future, said physicist Niels Bohr. So none of us really knows what's going to happen. But I think one of the big changes will be one that – Hudson Harris illustrated so well with his example. Companies are going to go from being primarily reactive to, be, to, to becoming far more proactive. Um, Harris Logic helps patients by identifying when there's a likelihood of that person getting in trouble. So they're able to intervene before there's a crisis, before somebody gets arrested. And that's better for everybody involved. It's better for the patient. It saves a lot of money to the jail system and the health system. And I've worked in analytics and data for around 30 years now. And most of the analytics we do are fundamentally about, oh, look, here's what went wrong in the past. These new technologies hold out this possibility of being able to intervene before things go wrong. So spotting the pattern, these kinds of situations led up to something bad. So now I can step in and stop that bad thing from happening. It could be something very human, such as a mental uh, mental health patient, or it could something be much more trivial in business, like uh, this delivery is going to be late. Therefore, I can at least phone the customer to warn them that there's going to be late or I could choose an alternative way of uh, transporting it so that it does get there on time. We're going to see these kinds of technologies applied to every business process to help them become more proactive, to learn and improve automatically over time. Thank you, Timo. Thank you, Hudson Harris. Thank you, Gil Gomez. Pleasure speaking with all three of you about predictive machine learning ROI Beyond Cool. I think we delivered a lot of very interesting thoughts to our audience. Shout out to our new series sponsor, John Skitka in Canada, and Hannah White. I believe she's an intern, and she is way above the curve of interns right now. She wrote a fabulous blog about our first episode, and I'm looking forward to what you're going to write about this one, Hannah. Shout out also to Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio. Thank you very much. I'll be back with another live show called Internet of Things with Game Changers tomorrow 
In the 19th of July, having trouble keeping track here, the year's going so fast, 10 a.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel. Everybody have a great day. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer, just like Gil Gomez at Deloitte, just like Hudson Harris at Hudson Logic, and just like Timo Elliott, of course, at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham, over and out. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.